The Sydney Opera House acknowledges the Gadigal people, traditional custodians of Tubagale, the land on which the Opera House stands. We honour the long Gadigal history of gathering and storytelling and acknowledge the strength and resilience of First Nations people and communities past and present. I mean, here it's so normal to see musicians around and it's such a part of the kind of European kind of culture that everyone is familiar somewhat with classical music. Whereas in Australia, people just come up to you and they're like, what the hell is that? Is that a saxophone? I, like, why should they have to know what a cello is? Like, who cares? Hey, I'm Courtney Avenhauser and this is Up Next, your ticket to the most exciting artists and performers coming through the Sydney Opera House doors. Join me backstage where I'm going to be chatting to a spectacular lineup of artists, up-and-comers who are making waves on one of the most iconic stages in the world. The Opera House is celebrating its first 50 years, so in every episode of this podcast, we showcase someone exciting who we think will transform the next 50 years of arts and culture. Today's guest, Switzerland-based Australian cellist James Morley, has been described as a new generation virtuoso. But over on his website, he describes himself as simply cellist slash improviser slash etc. And his Instagram handle is Dari underscore butts. That humility really comes through in this episode, especially when James talks about finding new ways to make classical music less elitist. While James works largely as a classical soloist and chamber musician, he frequently finds ways to bring cello music into unexpected spaces and genres. We recorded this episode via video link to Basel, Switzerland, where James carved out space in a very busy schedule ahead of a tour that will see him travel through Europe to Israel and then Australia for a performance at the Opera House in August. Hey James, how are you going? Hi Courtney, I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. Was it love at first sight with the cello? <laughs> Um, actually, no. So, <laughs> I was quite young when I started, well, not too young, but I was about, I think, uh, six. I actually would say that I kind of hated it for a few years. I didn't necessarily have an interest in music. I think also because my mum's a music teacher, so there was kind of this uh, parenting style when it came to approaching um, playing an instrument. And by the way, I don't have any, I, I actually am happy that it was the way it was now at this point in, in hindsight, because I wouldn't have, I wouldn't be doing this now, actually. And then, yeah, I kind of remember this one, one point where I was practicing and, you know, kind of reluctantly practicing. And this piece was from the first solo cello suite by Bach, which I think Anyone who doesn't know this by name knows it by ear. Can you play it for us? <laughs> yes, I can. Why, thank you. <laughs> and then we take an awkward moment for me to set up. <laughs> Thank you. 
My jaw's on the floor. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, believe me, it sounded way shittier than that at the time. What does it mean to be an improvisational cellist? Because it's not just freestyling on stage, right? I think people kind of think of improvising as literally just making it up on the spot, which there is definitely an element of this, this kind of spontaneity. Um, But you do have to prepare, practice, figure out what your sound is, you know, you kind of revert to your instincts. And so if you've done a lot of work on a particular thing, those, uh, you know, traits are going to come out in, in that moment. I mean, you have to be a great listener. Um, you have to be able to engage with other people on the stage and not just be caught up in your own little world. I mean, it helps to know the instrument really well. So the fact that I've been playing for so long means that I should know it pretty well by now. So, yeah, preparation is big for improvising, I would say. So you're in Switzerland now and you're studying contemporary musical performance for classical music. What does that mean? Uh, How do you explain it to people in a pub? Yeah, it's a good... (laughs) (laughs) Um... I mean, it's kind of more this sort of um, art music kind of thing, kind of contemporary art, sort of a lot of interdisciplinary sort of interaction. And um, it can be a bit academic, which is not really for me, but there's that side of things as well. Really technical, really interesting, experimental, this kind of thing. And how is that different? Like, how is what you're doing in Switzerland different to what you could learn if you'd stayed in Australia? Well, the thing is, in Europe, there's just way more funding for just art and music in general. And in Switzerland, especially, there's so much money. And so they have so many grant foundations, like even really small, random ones. So you can just like apply for money and like it's hard to get it, but like it's much easier than in Australia because the funding and appreciation for it exists. And so Basel, where I am, is really amazing place I find for contemporary music. Like so much interesting stuff and variety, opinions. Like it's kind of you go to concerts and it's really acceptable to say like, oh, I didn't like that. And but then you just get to talk openly about it with people and discuss the music, and it's all part of it. So I think that's really cool. Yeah, cool. I'm keen to hear a bit more about that interdisciplinary um, side to your course. It entails many different things. Uh, Commissions, so brand new music, constantly collaborating with composers and electronic musicians. I'm learning much more about electronics now, which I never knew almost anything about before. Um, so for me to do something like I'm doing now, it wasn't an option to stay actually. So yeah, for me, I'm glad that I'm doing this at the moment with my life being here. I mean, that's probably partially why 
I'm more interested in contemporary music stuff because I think relevance is important and I always look for ways to help it be more accessible. I feel like not wanting to take yourself too seriously is touted as a virtue in Australia and in a way it keeps us grounded, but it can also feed into the tall poppy syndrome, which is kind of toxic. Is that Uh something you think about as someone who's moved to Europe for your art? Yeah, I think in Australia it's much more obvious to me that we have this kind of anti-elitist kind of um, attitude which I kind of get. I mean, I find this world of music often more accessible than classical music sometimes, to be honest, um, because classical music, I mean, I've always had, you know, friends outside of classical music and a lot of them have a lot of fear about going to see a classical music performance because they're like, oh, I won't fit in because everyone there is like rich and old and it's in a concert hall and I don't have the right clothes and I can't afford it and blah, blah, blah. Like contemporary music is an umbrella term for so much stuff. Yeah. And actually, we do performances in places that make more sense to be doing a performance in and make sense to people to want to go and experience it. You went to a concert series in Melbourne called Play On that was pretty different from most classical music performances. Can you tell me about it? Yeah, it's like a really cool series where they, I think they wouldn't even announce the the program before the performance, but you know that you would basically expect like a sort of classical act or set and then uh, something more experimental contemporary music set and then a DJ set at the end. Um, but these performances would be in, you know, like car parks and places like this, but then it's so like appealing to like trendy young people because they have like the bar and the lights and everything's kind of beautiful and like really vibey. Like the the average age is, you know, like 30. And so when you have people going to watch a classical music performance in an environment that makes them feel comfortable, then they, they love it. Did going to play on make you think about new ways to present classical music? Of course. I mean, I just see it so often painted in this kind of really formal and like a little bit snobby looking kind of way. And like, you know, I have so many, you know, there are so many classical musicians my age and, you know, they still seem to want to go for like the the suits and the and this and that instead of just like feeling more like you could just be more relaxed if you just like dress like a normal person or something I mean like like I don't know why there's I mean I'm fine with people dressing like that but like they there's like this feeling that it's necessary like it's obligatory if you're performing classical music to dress like this it should not be like just dress how you want like that's a good place to start don't like if people didn't feel compelled to maybe dress a certain way when they go to watch a performance and also just like if tickets were cheaper i mean in australia if like the government subsidized this a bit more i mean i mean yeah there's like student rush and things like this but generally it's not so available or they don't advertise it so that everyone like people don't really know that this is an option or or whatever and so I just think the presentation of it is really crucial and it always is like 
no matter like how much we try and avoid it, like presentation is extremely crucial in this kind of thing. Is music programming something you'd like to do? Yes. Um, and I've done a bit of it before. I worked at a venue in Melbourne called Tempo Rubato. Really amazing place, actually. So I actually programmed a bunch of concerts there. And I really enjoyed this. I would like to be more in this kind of world, actually, in future. So I do have my brain kind of mulling over some ideas um, at the moment, in fact. Um, there are things I'd like to do in Australia um, in terms of this kind of programming, curating things. So, yeah, this does interest me. Watch this space, hey? Watch this space. I heard that you did an experimental performance all about Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> can you please explain that to me? I don't know if I can explain it, to be honest. I mean, it was um, something of a composition by this um, composer, Belgian guy called Stefan Prince. So there was a small ensemble of us. It's like electric guitar, someone on electronics, cello, double bass, harp, saxophone, and drum kit. It was basically all improvised. We rehearsed a, a decent amount and we really like, sort, like as I was talking about before, you really prepare by rehearsing improvised stuff. And so we really had like a plan, like it's, it's structured improvising, but there was like a video. It just kind of used clips from like movies of Arnold Schwarzenegger. There's like an interview on one of those late night shows that gets featured, um, some advertisement for something that he's in. And it's all just like kind of highlights the absurdity of this guy. But I think one of the kind of musical focuses of the of the performance was you had some of these like really sort of beautiful moments, like these kind of like almost choral kind of lovely chords with like some really hectic, I don't know, like loud something over the top. And so it was really kind of like a lot of juxtaposition, I suppose. And so, yeah, not like smooth kind of like... Mm, I guess there was meant to be a, a very big humorous element in this in this piece, um, but also kind of... Are they, like, representing different, like, the multitudes of Arnold? Like, he's been a bodybuilder, an actor, a governor. I guess you could say so, yeah. I think it's just kind of... I mean, I'm not really someone who's into... Um, you know, you get sort of people say like, yeah, with this piece of music, it really, you need to tell a story or whatever. And it's like, well, if there's no lyrics or nothing that's telling me a story, it's like, why... How am I supposed to convey that? It's kind of like a silly thing to me. I don't know, it's a kind of satire piece, this whole thing. And you do have, yeah, a lot of this sort of thing going on over here, I think. I don't know. I imagine as someone trying to take cello beyond classical repertoire, you want to be inspired by the world around you. What inspires you beyond music? Hmm. I think when we're so caught up in this musical world, like we, I don't know, care so much about each other's opinions and everything that we get really trapped in this kind of feedback loop of like what's important in this world. And if you kind of break that cycle for yourself and just like experience other people, um, then you just kind of remember like what, you know, their values are and like what living means to them and what's important to them and I live with like fashion designers mostly um, 
people like this who have such a different kind of focus in life, but also this attention to like aesthetics and stuff. And I mean, I, I go to the river here every day and just remember, like, this is the closest thing I have to the ocean right now. Yeah. It's like the Rhine River runs through Basel. It's amazing. It's so beautiful. And so, yeah, I think these big kind of natural forces in the world, as stupid and whatever as it sounds, these things are important to me. Totally. I don't think that sounds stupid at all. I Thank agree. <laughs> okay, thanks for validating. <laughs> <laughs> You've got your first solo show coming up at the Opera House. Yeah. Can you tell me what to expect? We're going to hear a nice mixture of things. We'll have a brand new commission work by Josephine Mackin, who's a great composer based in Sydney. And I'll perform this work with Jane Sheldon, who is incredible soprano singer um, based between Australia and the States. So I'm so excited to um, work with her. Also, I play some solo pieces, um, a piece by another Australian composer, Brett Dean, um, which uh, it's just really hard. <laughs> so that's kind of taking up some brain space at the moment. Um, but it's quite cool. It's 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 quite a spectacular spectacular kind of piece so i think yep we got some balance going on in the program and then also a piece that lisa lim wrote for me a couple years ago she is one of my favorite ever composers she's australian she's big overseas like she is like one of the big names of contemporary music composition she's amazing and i was so lucky that she wrote me a piece uh two years ago so I'll bring this one out again. You get to hear me sing a bit. So I know I don't have my sexy radio voice today because I'm a bit sick, but if you want to hear these dulcet tones, there's the opportunity. And then um, I also play with Aaron Helliard, who is one of my favorite musicians in Australia. He's, you know, a favorite of the Opera House, I believe. He runs Pinch Cut Opera and he's one of the best, like, early music keyboard players so like you know piano forte piano harpsichord in this case we play a beethoven sonata so he will be on forte piano which is kind of like an earlier version of piano um and i find often more beautiful than piano in fact i really love this instrument so it's really nice that we can make this come together and so yeah we play this beautiful beethoven sonata so you know it sounds this is a very varied program as you can tell we've got Beethoven, and then we have brand new music. Yeah, it sounds like a really nice marrying of the two worlds. Yes, yeah, I think so. James, this podcast is all about looking ahead and trying to spot who's going to make it. Who do you think <laughs> is going to make it big in the next decade? Oh, my God. That is the impossible question. I mean, I don't even think about this sort of question because who's going to make it big? I don't know. I mean, everyone is kind of obsessed with making it, actually. And, like, I've been having this discussion a lot with, like, one of my best friends here is someone that's always like, oh, I want to be, like, he's kind of joking, but I know, like, he's not. He's like, I want to be famous, like, all the time. And whenever you tell him about something cool that you have coming up, he kind of gets a bit like, oh, like, I wish that was me. Like, and, you know, he's, like, really happy for you or whatever, but he's kind of a, a bit sort of, like, obsessed with, like, 
And so there are some people who are a bit like this. And I also think I look at him and I go like, well, you kind of have like made it as well in a lot of, in like many ways, like you're doing amazing things. But the thing is for us, there is no, that's why you can't have a, an end goal with all of this, being a musician or an artist. Like if you think that there is a point where you've made it, like that's just completely wrong. And I realized this a long time ago, which I'm really glad I did because I think some people still have this idea that there's a point where it's all just like, yep, now I am like a god of music. It's like, no, you can't do that. Like it's a constant, it's a lifelong process, which is a beautiful thing. And I wish to respect that. And so, yeah, saying that anyone is going to like make it, of course, names get bigger and people get more attention and more Instagram followers or whatever it is required to become considered, you know, famous. But yeah, I think everyone is like anyone who's like a convincing good musician is valid in their own right, no matter how many people come to their performances, how many people buy their albums, like... I mean, if you like someone's music, then you should enjoy it and not rely on other people's opinions and reviews about them to decide to inform, you know, your choice to appreciate them. I love that last line and I agree wholeheartedly. What a place to leave it on. Thank you so much <laughs> for joining us today, James. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. That was cellist James Morley. You can see James Morley and Friends in a performance called Beethoven and Beyond on August 6th at the Opera House, a program that includes a new work commissioned by James and the chance to hear contemporary and classical musicians find common ground in Beethoven's third cello sonata. I'm Courtney Ammenhauser and this has been Up Next, a podcast from the Sydney Opera House. From AudioCraft, the show is produced by Marcus Costello. From Sydney Opera House, Head of Digital Programming is Stuart Buchanan and the Digital Programming Coordinator is Georgia D'Souza. The Up Next theme music is by Milan Ring. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.